1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Now, before I read the scripture, I would mention to you this, this letter by Paul was written to Timothy. Timothy was a protege of Paul. Paul had mentored him in his ministry, in his life. He was pastoring a church. And uh, Paul was writing this letter to him to instruct him and encourage him. And uh, though the letter is written to Timothy as a pastor, the principles of this letter apply to all of us, whether we're pastors or not, because he's talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ and to lead and love and live as a follower of Christ. And in um, the verses just before uh, chapter, or verses 11 and 12 in chapter six, Paul talks to Timothy about some things that he might face in his ministry that are obstacles and distractions that could sidetrack him. One of those things he talks about um, getting sidetracked and beginning to do what you do because you want to get more money, more, you want to get wealthier. And he talks about that can be a real distraction. So stay pure, stay true. Know that all you need is Jesus Christ and God will take care of you. I'm paraphrasing. But one of the scriptures that is misquoted is that scripture that says, the love of money is the root of many evils. Now, oftentimes somebody says, you know, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's not what that scripture says. It says when we chase after things and after financial gain and that becomes the focus of our life, it becomes the root of all kinds of things that distract us and lead us astray. And Paul is talking to these things about Timothy and then he says, and as I think about rise up men of God, this is what he says to Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, Flee those things, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Flee the things that will distract you. Pursue the things that are morally right and justifiable in the eyes of God, that are godly. Put your faith and your trust in God and his sovereignty. Have faith in him. Love like Jesus would love. Be steadfast. That means be firm and unwavering in your walk. And be gentle. So as I was thinking about this passage of scripture and what I felt like God would have us to learn this morning, um, the thought that came to my mind is, well, when does a man become a man of God? And that made me think about, well, when does a man become a man? Is it at the age of 18? And obviously we have these discussions um, legally, there's an age, but when does a man really become a man? It's been said that no man truly becomes a man until his father tells him he's a man. And I think that probably depends on the father and his motive, his heart. But when does a man or woman become a man of God or woman of God? And the answer to that is a little bit surprising to many of us. A man of God, according to the scripture, becomes a man of God 
when he gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ and puts his faith and trust in him. What? Wait a minute. I didn't even know what being a man of God was about. Well, I think the thing that I want us to realize this morning as we are in this place is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we say, God, I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I want Jesus to come into my life. Thank you that he paid the price for that sin and I'm going to follow him and put my life in his hands. God calls you and me to himself. It's a call of God in our life. Now, we may not totally understand that, and frankly, uh, we're probably not as good at teaching that as we could be. Because if we're not careful, people get the idea, well, it's, I gotta make this decision, and it is a decision. I'll make this decision for Jesus, and hopefully everything works out, and I'll go to heaven someday. But following Christ is a decision, but it's so much more than a decision. It's understanding that God has said now, you are my child and I've called you unto myself. And what I want you to do now with your life is learn everything that that means so that you can grow in the faith and be more of what you want me to be. So when a child comes to God, obviously they're not gonna understand that concept of calling very well, but we can help them as they grow, learn what it means. That's actually what we're doing when we teach them. Do you know you're a child of God? Somewhere along the line in history, there, this idea became prevalent that there are those who are called of God and they tend to be the priests. And then the rest of us are lay people. And so the call of God to the ministry is what they were actually talking about. The call of God went to the priest and people began to live their lives uh, feeling like, well, I'm not the called one, the priest is, or the pastor is. I'm just a lay person. I just follow Jesus to the best of my ability. And I think what I want to help us understand this morning is every one of us who trust Jesus has been called of God to himself. We have a call on our lives. We could spend a lot of time, we could preach a whole series of sermons on that probably. But I think it's important, men, for you to realize when you trusted Christ, God called you to himself. Listen to what the scripture says. I have several scriptures. I want you to listen. Paul in Philippians 3 says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, God, in Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, God saved, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and 10 say, 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God calls us. And there's other scriptures that make that very clear and plain to us. So understand, you and I have been called in our life when we follow Jesus. Jesus, in several of the Gospels, quoted Deuteronomy 6 when he was asked, what's the great commandment? And he, in a different way of expressing a calling, said, the great commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength with all your mind. So I think I've made this point, but I think I'd like to share a quote with you by Oz Guinness that really speaks to me and kind of summarizes all of this. Oz Guinness um, is a well-known writer, scholar, speaker. Some years ago, a pretty good number of years ago, he wrote a book called The Call, and I would recommend that you read it. But listen to what he says in that book. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and his service. One more time, listen. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are and everything we do and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, I love that word, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and his service. His summons, follow me. He calls us. So when does a man become a man of God? Well, he's called to be a man of God when he trusts Jesus. Now, that's not the end of the journey because it is a journey. My journey has been since the age of 18 until right now at the age of 72, 54 years. So what does it mean if I'm called of God to be a man of God, how do I live that out? How do I be the man of God that I'm called to be? And there's not a choice in that, by the way. Now, I can choose not to follow him. I can choose to say, I know what he's called me to, but I'm not doing it. And our life becomes a mess. And it's already broken when we follow him. And it becomes even more broken as we push him away. But what the scripture teaches is that in, in, in this scripture, I'll, I'll especially say, in this scripture it says that living as a man of God is a journey of persistent commitment. We begin a life as a man or woman of God when we're called to it by Jesus when we're saved. Living our life as a man of God throughout our lifetime is a persistent commitment. And I used that word persistent on purpose, because persistent means, the definition is continuing firmly or obstinately in a course of action 
in spite of difficulty or opposition. Firmly, obstinate, even. Now, do you think there's going to be opposition to you and I being people of God, men of God, men? You bet there's opposition. There's opposition in the world. There's opposition in the workplace. The, the devil is seeking whom he may devour and he's going to fight every way he can to keep us from living that life. I, Satan knows when you trusted Jesus that you and I were called to God. His next task is to disrupt that, to negate that. And he's going to do everything he can to fight you and I. So how do we live uh, that life of persistent commitment? Well, there's two things. We're committed to knowing his word and we're committed to applying his word to our life. Pretty basic stuff. But in, second, in 1 Timothy 6, when Paul says to Timothy, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness, fight the good fight, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. All of those words talk about action. It means as you're living your life and there's something that comes up in your life that's a, dis a temptation and a distraction that could sidetrack you from Jesus, you flee from that. It means you pursue. And you know, I don't get the idea that pursue means... I get the idea that pursue means I'm going after that, right? There's action involved in that. Fight the good fight, because it's going to be a fight. And then he says, take hold of those eternal things. You know what that means? That literally means if you say you're going to follow Jesus and that you have followed Jesus, you ought to look like it. You ought to be taking a hold of the things that make you look like Jesus and act like Jesus. So you see what it does for us as we live our lives as men and women of God? is it kind of removes all those excuses, doesn't it? Well, I can't do that. Why not? Take hold of it. Fight. Learn. Grow. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses. 173 of those verses mention the word of God in some way or form. The word of God. The path of God the precepts of God, the commandments of God. And in Psalm 119, the psalmist teaches us, you've got to be committed to the word of God, know the word of God, and understand the word of God if you're going to live for him. In Psalm 119, verse 9, the scripture says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We've got to commit our lives every day of our life, every week of our life, and it's tough because there are... I wish I could tell you that the distractions are just... They get easier, but they don't. There are just so many ways to stop walking where God wants us to walk. We've got to know his word, study his word, and we have to apply the word to our lives. It's not enough just to know it. We have to apply it.
We have to put those things into action in our lives that he tells us to do in his word. All scripture, says Paul to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you take the word of God and you understand that as you apply it, it will teach you, it will scold you, it will encourage you, it will do all of those things. The word is sharper than a two-edged sword. I love what James says in James 1.22 about the word of God. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. One of the more modern translations says, don't just listen to the word and be deceived, do it. I love that. That's what the translation of James 1.22 is. Don't just listen. That's a deception. If you get the idea that I'll just come and listen to somebody preach and read a few verses and I'm good, that's deceiving to you. Do what it says. And that's where we fall short much of the time because we're sinners and we're struggling. But to be men of God and women of God takes a persistent commitment to do the things that God calls us to do and to know to be people of God. Amen? All right. Now, how do we finish as a man of God? How do we finish our life? I'm 72 years old, which I'm not old, but I'm older. And if you're in my age range and older, you know that you're kind of living in the last quarter of your life. There's been more life behind you than there is in front of you, more than like, unless you're Jim Foster. Jim Foster is the one that I think, how many, do you have 78 grandchildren? Is that what you said, Jim? 25, is that right? But he's 177 years old and he has 67 children. No, not really. But Jim Foster is a man of God who's been here for a long time and he's walked the walk and talked the talk. And there are young people who will tell you that at the age of 75 and 80 at camp in other areas, he had as much of an impact in their life as anybody ever has. And I want to be like Jim Foster. That's what God wants us to be. He's not perfect. Kay is his wife, but not Jim. <laughs> but how do we finish? Finishing as a man of God takes faithful perseverance and stamina. Now, I'm, I chose that word on purpose because I know from reading the word of God that that word is there more than we want to look at it, the word perseverance. And we don't talk about it a lot. But remember when I said persistence is continuing firmly or obstinately in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition? Perseverance is doing that over a long period of time. When you persevere... When somebody says, man, thank you for persevering, ma'am, thank you for persevering, they're saying to you, you've not had the easiest life. You've had struggles in your life just like everybody else. There's been times when maybe you haven't been exactly what you want to be, but you've hung in there. You've stayed true. You've followed. You've pressed on and you've kept on pressing on, which is what that scripture is actually, actually saying. Keep on pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
So if we want to finish, and I, I was at a memorial service last Wednesday for, Wednesday for Karis. Karis sings on Sundays and has a beautiful voice, and her grandmother passed away. And the whole service was built around the legacy that Nancy has left to her friends and family. And as I'm in my 70s now, every time I attend or help lead one of those services, my thoughts are as much as anything moving towards what will my legacy be? What will my kids and my grandkids think of me? Will they think that I was a man of God? Um, Lord, help me to finish well. And what do I need to do to finish well? And the word teaches me, keep on keeping on. Persevere, don't quit, don't coast. And I think if we're not careful, those of, I'm talking to those of us who are a little older now, much of our life is behind us. And if we're not careful, we keep looking back there. We keep our, our gaze on the past. And we say, oh, that was great. Man, if only again. Why don't we do this like we did when I was young? When I was young, we got it right. And we're moving this way. And if we're not careful, those of us who are a little older are looking more that way than this way. I'm saying this because if we want to finish well, I think those of us who are older need to understand the best way we can finish well is continue to live our life the way God called us to live it, which is a life of risk and faith and uh, following Christ no matter what. We're getting ready. Uh, our pastor's going to be talking more about it, but as we look towards the future, he's presented some things to us that said we're going to be looking at our buildings and our property and our, our church, our people. How can we do everything God wants us to do as we move forward? And for me, in, in my life, in my heart, I want to say, how can I, as a 72-year-old who's been a part of the church staff here for 40 years, move forward with this church and help us to move in that direction, even if I don't completely agree with everything, because I probably won't. I don't even know what that means at this point, but I just know me, right? And I know you. So God, help us to finish well. Help us to press towards the mark. Count it all joy, my brothers, James says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in Hebrews 10, the writer says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So our life is a journey. We're called to be a follower of Christ and to be a man, woman of God at that time in our life. And we need to continue to get help in figuring out what that means and what the word teaches and learning the word and knowing the word. And as we live over a period of years, we need to say, God, at the end of 54 years, I hope my life looks more like Jesus than it did when I was 18 years old. But there's no guarantee. There is no guarantee. Because he does his part, but I have to do my part. I, I, I've used this illustration before, but I like it. There's a story of a person who was watching a sculptor 
scoped. And they watched him and they went, it's just amazing. And they said, what are you sculpting? And the sculptor said, I'm sculpting a horse, a great steed. And the person said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, I just chip away anything that doesn't look like a horse. <laughs> now I have a feeling it's harder than that. But it's a great illustration because in our lives as we persevere and as we're steadfast in following him, he burns away and chips away in our life through our trials and our tribulations, through our struggles. It's really what Romans 8.28 is talking about. He chips away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Maybe not everything, but much of what doesn't look like Jesus. And hopefully, the longer we live, the more we look and act like Jesus. And that is a difficult struggle. But we can do it, folks, as we encourage one another, as we challenge one another, and as we apply God's word and principles to our life. Now, as we close... I want to make a, uh, give an application of this to men. It applies to everyone, but men. Some years ago, Robert Lewis, who was a pastor of a large church in Little Rock, Arkansas, started a group for his church, a group of men called the Men's Fraternity. And he developed a curriculum. And the first curriculum he developed was called the Quest for Authentic Manhood. I like that word authentic because it means something that's true something that's real. So a, a man of God is true. He's true to God. He's true to his word. He's real because he's based his life on the foundation of the scripture. And I like that. So with a number of men, some of you are probably in here, we went through that study and we actually did uh, a number of studies and I've been through that study with men several times and it changed my life. And, and, and at that point, I was in my, I think my late 40s, early 50s, and I thought, I wish I'd have known some of this earlier. I wish that somebody had developed this curriculum to help me know. People said, John, you need to be a man of God, and I kept saying, okay, but what does that mean? How do I do that? Um, and in this study, in depth, they go into what it means, the things that we need to deal with to follow God and be godly men. But there are four principles in that study that are not magic, but they're very simple, and I've been able to apply them to my life over and over and over again. And no one had ever given me that kind of a way to apply some things to my life that helped me walk with God. So here are the four things, very simple. Men, reject passivity in your life. Reject spiritual passivity in your life. What does that mean? Well, being passive usually means that you stand by instead of standing up. And I'm going to tell you this, men. Down through history, throughout all of history, men have had a tendency in the area of spiritual life especially to be very passive. And it began in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, chapter 3, the fall. Eve is about to grab that fruit on the tree of the forbidden fruit that God said, that's the one thing you can't do. She's about to give in to the temptation of Satan saying, he's just messing with you because he doesn't want you to know everything that he knows. If you eat this fruit, you can be everything he is. You can be your own God. And as she reached for that fruit, I think 
One of the questions a lot of times people have and men have is, where was Adam? And what's interesting, if, if you know the word, scripture says Adam who was standing right there, watching. Have you ever thought about what would happen if Adam said, now Eve, wait a minute. Eve, listen, we have this relationship with God. And it's very special. Let's not eat of that fruit. Let's obey him. You and I, we can be the leaders and we can do what's right. What if Adam had said that? Alternative history, right? It didn't happen. He just passively stood by instead of standing up. And she ate of the fruit and the rest is history. We've been battling sin ever since. We've been battling our own self-importance, pride, ego. Men, we've been passive about things. At times we should have been more involved. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that you're mean. It means that you live a godly life in a way that when the right things need to be done, in your family, in your life, you stand up and say, this is right. This is what God's word teaches. Let's do it. So reject passivity. Second thing, accept responsibility for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And guys, we are masters at passing the buck. Well, it was my wife's fault. It was my kid's fault. If, you know, when I come home from work, if they just understood, it's been a long day. Is that guy, that guy's the one that got me to do it. You know, I had to do this. I can justify this. Nobody knows my life. God even understands this. And instead of accepting responsibility for our decisions in our life, we want to pass the buck to someone else. So we need to reject passivity and accept responsibility. The third thing we need to do is lead courageously. And that doesn't mean that you beat people over the head with your Bible. It doesn't mean that you holler and scream at people because they're not living their life for God. It means that we stand up instead of standing by and we are courageous in making the right decisions and help people know we're not ashamed to make the right decisions. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to live this way. And we're going to love this way. And we're going to be this way. It just makes sense when you know the word of God. To lead courageously, I love the scripture when God called Joshua. And he says in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a great passage. Men, be strong. Be courageous. God is with you. Sometimes fear enters our life. And if we're not careful because of fear, we make terrible decisions. Be courageous. Be strong. Seek help. Follow God and love him. And the last principle is to live your life for God's greater reward. Don't get distracted about the things in life that seem so important, but they're just not the most important thing. God wants you to love him and he wants you to love your family. He wants you to be a leader in your family. He wants you to be courageous. Live your life for God's reward. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, 
work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. There's been a need, as I said at the beginning, for men to be men of God, to stand up and be strong men of God throughout history. And there's a story in 1911, James, William Pearson Merrill, William Pearson Merrill was a pastor of a church in Chicago. Now, politically, things were moving in a direction that was gonna end up being World War I. And he was a pacifist and he was very courageous and strong in his viewpoints as a pastor and a pacifist. But one of his biggest concerns for his church was, we just don't have enough men who are standing up and being a part of what we need to do. We just need more men of God. And he talked to other pastors and they were having the same issue, which is always the case. Throughout my ministry, I can tell you, every church I've ever served in, there's been a need for more men who stand for God. Steve, do you find that to be true? Absolutely. So he was on a ship at Lake Michigan. He was reading a magazine and there was an article about men of God, how to be men of God, and the need for men of God. And he got just inspired by the Spirit of God to sit down and write a poem. And this is the poem that he wrote. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of kings. Rise up, O men of God, the church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task, rise up, help make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ, tread where his feet have trod, as brothers of the Son of Man, of Jesus. Rise up, O men of God. That is a song that's been put to music and down through the ages, since 1911, down through the years, that song in many churches is still sung in a more traditional setting. Rise up, O men of God. As I thought about this message, that's why I would have titled it Rise Up, Men of God, because it's time to help win a world to Jesus. It's time to make an investment in your life of the things that really matter, and it's time to live your life towards a legacy that God wants you to have for your family and for your friends. And that legacy, that time, life goes so fast. So it's time to rise up. And now what, that, what does that mean? I'm gonna, there are men here who may have never trusted Jesus. And there may be women who have never trusted Jesus who are here. There may be young people here. Now, given what I've said, you're probably thinking, why would I want to follow him? He's going to call me and I got to do all this stuff. But it's, the, it's the best life in the world. It really is. It's a life with meaning. It's God's plan for your life and my life. So we're going to have pastors that are going to be up here. And for just a little bit, I'm going to allow the spirit of God to move in this moment. If whatever God wants to do, um, as we sing in just a minute, if you're a man or a woman and you're saying, I need to trust Jesus, now is the time you can do that. You can come and take somebody's hand and say, help me, I wanna do that. You may be a man or a woman who wants to recommit yourself to being everything that God wants you to be, a man and woman of God. 
You may want to come up here and pray with someone or just pray at the altar. Or you may want to in your seat say, Lord, speak to my heart. Thank you for speaking to me this morning. Help me to begin to make these adjustments in my life that I need to make. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give God the opportunity, the Spirit of God, the opportunity to move however he wants to move. I'm going to ask you to stand. This is the most important moment in the service, regardless of who's preaching, because God's Spirit moves right now in the lives of people to make life-changing decisions. So don't leave. Don't leave. Let God move. Father, we want to be people of God. And we're learning every day more of what that means. Teach us. Help us to take the steps right now that you would lead us to take to make that happen in our lives. Each life here is different. Each life is an individual. Each life, you know their heart. You speak as only you can speak by your Holy Spirit to the hearts and lives of the people here today and move in Jesus' name. Amen.